Always good to, hold on, I don't know who lifts this up every week when I'm gone. They're like, I got an idea. <laughs> Let's make the table too tall. Um, it's a rad thing to get involved, serving your church family. There's all, it's a great way to meet people, and it's a great way to uh, give back, which is part of our uh, mission statement. We're gathering people. We're committed to gathering as many people under uh, the kingdom of God and into, the, into a relationship with Jesus as possible. We're a growing people, meaning no one has arrived. There's no Jedis here, Padawans only. We're all students of Jesus. We all have things to learn. We are all growing. And we all, uh, not only do we belong, we all have something to offer the world around us. We are, uh, we're taught in our society that the best thing we can do is consume. So you've got to make a lot of money so you can consume lots of things. But actually, you were designed in the image of God to contribute, not just consume. And there's a beautiful thing about serving your church family and being someone that can uh, help gather more as you're greeting people at the door so they know that, well, you'll see in our text today, but it's, um, it's God's heart for people that they would know who they are in him and that they have something to offer the world around them. So um, we're going to continue this morning. Uh, if you would turn in your Bible, because we are a people of God's word, right? So we have our Bibles with us. If you don't have a Bible and you want a Bible, you talk to me after church and we will hook you up because everyone should have a Bible. And if you have a smartphone or any kind of phone probably these days, you can get the Bible on there. But we're going to be in the book of Mark and in chapter 12. As you're turning to the book of Mark, chapter 12, I'd like to pray for the teaching this morning. Father, we thank you for today. Um, thank you for this chance, this opportunity to come to a place of worship, a building that we can call our home in the middle of a, a city that you strategically placed for such a time as this. And we don't take it lightly that we can come and gather. It, it's awesome that it can be a rhythm in our lives but we don't want it to become, ever become common or mundane. So, Lord, we ask right now that you would stir our hearts, shake up our world, um, and give us more truth, more love, more of the Spirit of God and the kingdom of God in this place. So we love you, Lord. We open our Bibles, we open our hearts, and uh, we open our home here at the bridge. And we ask that you would fill them all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'll tell you what, I think we must have needed that morning of worship because I don't know about you, but I was blessed. I was like, I felt a stillness. I've been, been uh, summertime. Anybody feel busy? Like you're running from one thing to the next because it's only going to be sunny for like three weeks. And uh, you feel like you got to get a lot of stuff done. So you're just running and gunning. And I feel like the Lord told, wanted us to know this morning that it's okay to just sit still for a minute and um, to just chill out and just be however you are. It's okay to just be in that place. And I feel like there was a sense of wanting to steady our hearts and calm. And it makes sense because I believe God wants to deposit and impart some amazing stuff to us today. And so 
uh, thank you to our worship team. You know, they don't just get up here on a Sunday morning and just play what they feel like. There's prayer and thought. And I don't know about you, but when you do something by faith, it's like, Lord, here's this thing I have coming up, this message that I have coming up, this worship set that we're going to play, this job interview, this conversation I have to have. And we pray about it, and we're like, help me to do a good job. Please help me to represent and, and, and help me to serve others. And, and then you go into that time and then you just do what you prepared. And kind of you're like, I leave some Sundays. You're like, well, I hope that worked. Because <laughs> it's in faith. You kind of don't really know and there's no metric. But um, God knows. And if you start to listen and see, you can, you can see that he's speaking. And, and um, so thank you guys to our worship team this morning. It was really good. Um, now my heart is ready. I'm going to preach a message today called what Jesus notices at church, what Jesus notices at church. And I'm going to let you know from jump from the get go today that you guys get to watch me. If you've been coming here a while, you've seen this. If you haven't today, you get to watch me preach to myself for the next however amount of time, and then you can, if you choose to, can say, yeah, me too. You'll see what I'm saying. Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 35, we're going to pick up Tuesday in the temple before Jesus was crucified on Friday. This is the last time Jesus taught in the temple, so it is packed with gold from Jesus himself. So, um, In chapter 12, starting in verse 35, I want to read this to you. Thirty-five, there it is. And and as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I put your enemies under your feet. David calls himself Lord, so how is he his son? Confusing, I'll explain it. And it says this though, and the great crowd heard him gladly. Now you guys remember last week was called interrogating Jesus. It was two questions that people had for Jesus, and one was in a very antagonistic, interrogating those words work, manner, and then now Jesus is going to ask some questions. So here's what what he starts with. And And it says this, he asked this, and the great throng or crowd or multitude heard him gladly. Verse 38, and in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and in greed and like greetings in the marketplaces. Let me pause for a quick second. We're in the temple. We're not in a sanctuary like this. Jesus is not on a stage with a mic. He's outside in this huge, I think the Temple Mount was like a 60-acre facility, facility, place. And it had different gathering places. It was so situated in the city of Jerusalem that if you were going to go from the marketplace to this other zone over here in the city, you'd pass through the Temple Mount. And the part that you would pass through was called 
the court of the Gentiles, meaning you didn't have to be a Jewish person to go there. It was for everybody to go. Um, men, women, people from different faiths, it, anyone could be in this place, okay? Then there was the inner part where the Jewish people could be, and then there was it, it kind of got smaller until it got to this place called the Holy of Holies, which was believed to where the very presence of God met with uh, the people of God. So when we sang that song a second ago, You Tore the Veil, what, what there was, it was in that place, there was a veil that uh, was 30 feet tall, 60 feet wide, like four plus inches thick, just a hog of a veil, <laughs> hog of a veil, a big veil. And it was this thing, and it symbolized the separation from the presence of God and where people could be. And one time a year, the Day of Atonement, which is where a goat would be uh, slaughtered on behalf of the nation of Israel for the sins of the people. That's why Jesus was called the Lamb of God, who was his blood was shed for the sins of the world, not just a certain people, not just to cover for a year, but for everyone. And when Jesus was on the cross, he says a few things, but he said at the very end, he said, it is finished. Then if you read after that, it says, and then right in that moment when Jesus said, it is finished, that veil tore in two from top to bottom, not from bottom to top. It wasn't like, do you remember the, the dudes who were super buff and in the name of Jesus, they would like tear phone books in half and stuff? What were they called? Like the power, the awesome dudes. Um, gosh, they had a name. It was the Team Extreme. Um, anyways, it wasn't like that to where it was like, hey, let's figure out a way to tear this veil because we want access to God. It was God tore this veil saying, you come to me. And that's what took place. And so that's where this was happening. It wasn't in the Holy of Holies. It wasn't in the, the part where just the Jewish people could go. It was in the Gentile court. So Jesus is teaching and these are the people listening to him. It said a throng of people. That means a lot. There was tons of people around, and they weren't just his disciples. There was all sorts of people. So he's sitting there, and then that's where he said, beware of the scribes, okay? So he would have, he would have pointed them out. If you read it, they we're in Mark. You want a parallel account, read in Matthew. Jesus takes it a step further. He pronounced six woes. He calls them out specifically over six things in front of everyone. So this is what he's saying. This is who's watching. Now that I've painted the picture, let me keep reading. And in his teaching, Jesus said, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and they like the greetings in the marketplaces and they have the best seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive greater condemnation. Verse 41. And then he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. 
Actually, the exchange rate from what she did then to what we would do now would be equivalent if you put $1 in the offering box. So people are dropping stacks of cash. She puts in $1, and he called his disciples, and he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contribute out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, everything she had to live on. What Jesus notices at church. I want to cover this first part before we get to the beware of the scribes and the widow's offering. That first section that says where Jesus asks sort of this question. How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I put your enemies under your feet. David calls him Lord, so how is he his son? This is a a part of scripture that's hard to understand if you don't have a Jewish upbringing. So for us, it should sound sort of foreign. Because there's a lot of, um, you had to be there-ness to this. You need to know who David was. You needed to know what was promised through King David. You guys know David, David and Goliath? Well, David and Goliath, who was the boy who slayed the giant, ended up becoming Israel's greatest king. And then, but we only live for so long. And in a monarchy, there are kings that come after you. And, and if you read the book of First and Second Kings and Chronicles and all this, some were good and some were not. Some were very bad rulers. And the rule goes up and down, left and right, and so the saga continues in our day and age. But there was a promise that there was someone that was going to come through David's lineage, through his offspring, That's why there's those genealogies in the New Testament that show that Jesus fulfilled all sorts of prophecies that were made about him. One was that he would be from a certain lineage. And so the Messiah would come through the lineage of King David and would restore order and rule to the land of Israel. But the one who would come wouldn't just be David's offspring. He would be the Lord himself. That's why I said, how can my Lord say to my Lord? Sit. Uh, may it bless you. May your enemies sit at your hand till they make your enemies your footstool. He's just saying, my Lord was what you said to a king. How may I serve you, my Lord? And they were saying, our king is going to say my Lord to a greater king. So basically what Jesus is saying to them, he's saying, do you guys really know who I am? Do you really know who it is who's standing before you right now? These religious leaders, they thought they knew everything there was to know about the Messiah that was going to come. But Jesus pointed out time and time and time again that they didn't know nearly as much as they thought because they kept missing the point because the Messiah was standing before them. And in Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, three days from now, they're going to nail the king of kings to a cross. And somehow in God's economy, it's not just because um, it's against him. Jesus let it happen because he was the lamb of God. He's both the king and the sacrificial lamb. That's why he's so amazing. 
So Jesus challenges the thought and asks them to consider that they may have something to learn. This is all throughout the New Testament. Let me read you guys this cool verse in, in Revelation. Maybe it'll help it, this verse make more sense. But in Revelation in the beginning, in uh, chapter 1, starting in verse 12, Oh, yeah, not chapter 2, 12. I was like, that makes zero sense. Okay. Um, so John, the disciple of, John, of Jesus, John, wrote the book of Revelation. And he says this in verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. So he heard a voice. He was ha- in, having a vision. He turned. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, there, like there was one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in the furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his hand, he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Yo, that was something to see. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. There was a power that overwhelmed John. All he did was just fall on his face. But But he laid his right hand on me, and this is what he said. Fear not, this is Jesus speaking. He saw Jesus in his glory. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death in Hades, that's who I am. Therefore, write the things that you have seen, the things that are, and the things that are to take place after this. Then he says, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Jesus was saying, I stand in the midst of the churches. The seven stars represent the leadership of these seven churches. The seven churches are the seven, are the seven you know what I'm saying. And Jesus said, I, that's who I am. In all of my glory, I want you to write these letters. You, those stars you saw, this is what they mean. Those lampstands you saw, this is what they mean. Jesus sees everything. And those letters that he writes in Revelation, he talks about what he sees. Most of it is not visible to the human eye, just to him. Jesus wore peasant clothes his whole life on earth, and he wears royal robes in heaven. He knows what it's like to walk in the shoes of every person who has ever lived He walks in the midst of the most broken, and he walks in the aisles of our churches, and he has things to say. Not to condemn us, but to consecrate us. Not to point out that you're bad to make you feel bad, but to point out who he is to set you more apart for himself. And God has things he wants to say to us this morning. Let me show you what he noticed. Three things. The God who walks through the aisles and holds the stars in his hand, he noticed people. If you're taking notes, he noticed actions, 
things that we did, he noticed motivations. That's what I want to run through. Look at the first one. He noticed people. There are three groups of people mentioned in this. Number one was the throngs, which is just a funny word. Uh, your, your translation might say uh, the masses or the multitude, but it, it actually was like this group of people that were sort of pressing in. They wanted to hear, wanted to be a part, the multitude, the common people, the everyday people, the nothing specials, just regular old people. I like that Jesus spoke in a manner in which regular old people could understand them. Because a regular old person stands before you and in your midst today, and I like it when someone speaks my language and treats me with honor and dignity and respect. The second group of people was the scribes. You know who they were? They were the pastors. They were the faces of the ministry. And the third was a widow. The widow represents the unseen, the unimportant. Jesus noticed the man at the front, the poor woman at the back, and everyone in between. Not only did he notice people, he noticed actions. Jesus was people watching. You know, a church is a great place to people watch. Not probably as good as an airport unless it's a super crowded church. But where you can sit back and sort of check the vibe of the place. You know, that's what people do when they go and check out a new church. They'll sit back, scope the scene, and see if they fit in. Anybody do that when you first came to, to the bridge? You don't have to raise your hand, but you know that it's true. I've talked to people when they come for the first time. They'll barely look at me. I've had people, I'm like, hey, morning. They're like, we're visiting. I'm like, okay, well, cool, man. Enjoy yourself. You know, it's like, like we're just looking. All right. But this is how kind of we are. We sit back and observe and we ask questions. Am I welcome in this place? Is there a seat for me? Um, what, is the, what is the vibe like in this place? Jesus was people watching. He was teaching, but he was noticing everything. Notice the, the action words. Uh, he says, beware of the scribes who like to walk around. So these people who like to walk around. He notices greetings. He, they like the greetings. They have the best seats. It's different. Uh, churches are like weddings now. The front rows are like empty. Like weddings, you get your fam- the families, but they're, the groomsmen, poor groomsmen, they're always told, make sure they're seating for the family at the front. So they like block off the first eight rows because it's their one job and they don't want to mess up. And then everyone sits and it's like family and then like three blank rows and then everybody else. Anyways, um, empty seats in the front. Where am I going? Okay, and they have the best seats in the synagogue, the places of honor at feasts. They devour widows' houses. They make long prayers. And then it says Jesus watched people putting money in the offering box. He noticed actions. Jesus notices the things, the things that we do. Even if nobody else notices, Jesus is fully aware of our actions. And the third thing he noticed 
motivations. Now, this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time because this is the bulk of Jesus' teaching, but he wants, uh, he wants us to see that he sees the people that are there, the things that they're doing, and now he really zooms in on why we do the things that we do, the motivations behind it. Jesus takes notice of not just what you do, but why you do it. I got to warn you, this is going to hit in one of two ways. I'll give it to you up front. It's going to be convicting to some of us, and it's going to be comforting and encouraging to others. Now, maybe you'll get a little bit of both. Maybe you'll be like, oh, that hurts a little bit. Remember, Jesus didn't come to condemn, but to give new life. So Jesus doesn't do anything to bring condemnation on your life. So if you ever hear a voice saying you're bad, you're not worth anything, it's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. But what he wants to do is set us apart unto his purposes. And sometimes the way he does that is he points out the motivations that we have in our life. And then we bring them to him. We confess them. We receive forgiveness and grace in the time of need. And then we walk in newness. Some of us, like this woman, might be comforted to know Jesus doesn't just see what you do. He sees the motivation behind it. And I pray that that would be encouraging for you. So here's, and my encouragement is this. However it hits this morning, just let it hit right there. Don't run away from it if it hurts. I've been, pre, I've been, this has been hitting me all week. And it's like that Brian Adams song. It hurts so good. Okay, let's look at three motivations. The multitudes had a motivation. I don't know if you caught it, but it says the throngs heard him gladly. The regular, everyday people, Jesus noticed a common thread with them. They were motivated to learn from Jesus. They were taking in his words, all of them. The beware of the scribes words, the my kingdom of God is like this words. As Jesus was speaking, they were hungry. I love this because most people come to church hungry to learn from Jesus. This is great because this helps me the way I treat people on a Sunday morning and and this and that. I give the benefit of the doubt. This person, regardless of where they, regardless of their life circumstances, here's my unspoken, they're here hungry to learn from Jesus. That's enough for me. Because that changes everything. That changes an interaction. That changes all of this stuff because that's where these people, that's where they were, and that's where I believe people come to church for. With the man up front, he says this, beware of those guys. Now, scribes. Who were the scribes? Well, the scribes were the Bible scholars of Jesus' day. They were the ones that were entrusted with Uh, preserving, learning, and teaching the word of God to the world. That sounds real familiar to me. Someone who was entrusted and called even to learn the word of God, teach the word of God to people. These were the men that the people should have been able to trust. But Jesus said instead that these were men that people should be aware of. 
The scribes represented a complete contrast in the picture of how a disciple should be. Jesus said we should notice what they do as well as what they say. It, it, it is crazy to me that the people that Jesus warned everyone about was the pastors. Like that hits really heavy, personally. So I'm glad he laid down some things that I can look at as far as actions and attitudes that I can take a self-audit, which we're all going to do. So this will be fun. He says this. All in all, what he noticed was a spirit of pride and a spirit of superiority. Those are good things to keep in mind as you are thinking about your life. Do you have a spirit of pride? My way is the most important way. It's about me. It's all about me. And superiority, I'm better than them. You would say no, but then he lists some actions and some motivations here. So here's a few marks of a prideful spirit. The first one says they wear long robes. So if you have a long robe at home and you wear it, you're not bad. These robes are a little bit different. These were the priestly gar- or the, uh, these garments that they would wear, but they separated them from the everyday people. Jesus says in Matthew, when he's speaking of woes, he is like, you make your fringes long. So they would have, um, I don't know the technical term, but they'd be like dingleberries around the bottom, like little thing- dingly things that would cruise along. And um, if you walk around too much and you do too much work, they might get dirty. You might be common and not separate, not separated. They like to be separated from everyday people. Now, I want to be careful with this one, the dressing, the robes, because there are people in our day and age that would preach in a collar. They might preach in a garment, a priestly garment. And I am in no way saying that that person is bad. They have bad motivations. But Jesus is pointing out here that it does. I have a good friend. Well, we're becoming better and better friends. He's the Anglican priest here in town, Brother Nathaniel. You may have seen him cruising around town. He wears the black robes, and he's got the beard, and um, he looks the part, dude. And I don't. So when we're hanging out together, I always am like, this is cool. But as I've gotten to notice Nathaniel, uh, or gotten to know him, my man's heart is as pure as they come. He loves God with all of his heart, and um, his tradition of teaching and prayer is so rich and deep, and I'm always blessed when we hang out. So it's not the robes that Jesus is talking about. It's the motivation behind the robes. They liked being separate. They liked looking different. They loved greetings in the marketplaces. These men were attached to their title. They loved it. They wanted the position. They had forgotten that what they were called to do was a disposition, and they had made it a position. Titles demand respect. That's why at this church we strive to be on a first-name basis, regardless of what uh, job you have or this and that. Because the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. And I'm proud of every person who has a degree, who is pursuing an education. We have doctors in the house. We have, um, you know, whatever title it is, I'm sure we have them. But we operate on a first-name basis because we're people first. But these men, they were, they, they were like, please, please, call me pastor. Call me this. Call me that. 
And I know that we have different, that's why when it comes to titles and stuff, I don't mess with it too much. It doesn't bother me. Some people's upbringing, they're like, hey, Pastor JJ, and I love it. But, you know, if someone's just like, hey, JJ, I love it. Because we're not, what we do in life is not about our titles. But he's saying, look at the way they respond to the greetings. They walk just waiting for someone to point them out. Oh, there's somebody. They were attached to that. They demanded respect wherever they went. It says they had the best seats in the synagogue and places of honor in, in gatherings. You know, in a shame and honor culture, which is what they had, seating was important. When you went to a place, where you sat said something about you. At real nice gatherings, the important people sat around the table and the common folk were allowed to stand back against the wall and watch. They could just hang out. So some of the gatherings that when you read the Gospels where Jesus is sitting around the table, people would invite Jesus at their home. They would give him the place of honor, which is where Jesus should sit, should be given the place of honor. And then people, they just wanted to be there, but they weren't invited to dinner. But you were actually, in that culture, you could come and just like hang out and watch, which would be odd, I think. But it would be cool, too. You'd be like, oh, man, look at the way he eats his rice whatever they were eating I want to eat my rice like that too um, is, my, is my the only brain that works like that alright it was an important matter and it was a visible statement about status so they would roll in and if someone was sitting in the place of honor it would kind of be like <clears throat> they'd get up put that person where they're supposed to be so they could sit where they were supposed to be. These are the things that Jesus was saying, beware of. They like their status, and they cashed in on all the perks and privileges. They like to be exalted above others. Jesus said this, then he takes all of that, and he says, they devour widows' houses. That's a heavy statement, especially because we're about to watch a widow put in not just money out of generosity, but it says all that she has to a system run by these guys that Jesus is saying they're doing it for the wrong motivations. They would even take a widow's last dollar to do what they're doing. Now, we'll talk about this beautiful woman here in a second, but Jesus is talking about these guys. People are coming to learn from Jesus, and they are being ripped off. That keeps me up at night. Would there be something? People are like, man, it's, why, you know, why do we not do certain things or keep it a certain way? I just want to make Jesus easy to find. We as a church, we as the church, we don't want Jesus to be hard to find. He should be front and center. Center, not sinner. We're, we just don't want to make Jesus hard to find. Or have people leave and be like, there was a lot of something, but I didn't find much Jesus in there. That's what we want, right? That's what we need. That's what the healthy rhythm of gathering together as a church family is, that we would come, be together, learn more of Jesus 
learn to walk in his ways and that we would go out to the life that he's entrusted to us and we would walk by faith because we're being filled with who Jesus is, not some slick presentation of all this stuff we got to do. And then he says this, and for pretense they make long prayers. For appearance's sake, they use big words to impress everyone around them. Jesus was saying, man, it looks more like they're trying to entertain than forge a connection. More concerned about looking holy than being holy. Jesus was pointing out the motivation was to get more for themselves, not give more of themselves. So I thought about all those things all week in my life. Beware of the pastors, he said. You know, the reality is, is all of us, if we've been going to church for a time, we've had a bad encounter probably along the way, a hurtful encounter with our pastor, with someone at church that, that maybe was placed in a position of spiritual authority that you would go to them for help. And maybe their motives weren't in the place where they should be. And you were taken advantage of. And there was hurt. You put yourself out there and there was hurt. And now there's part of you that's blocked off. I think it's real common because people go to church for a little while. They'll sort of get involved until something happens. And then, uh, boom, on to the next place. I think there are triggers that happen. And I think that they've happened um, and they're, they're real. But... It's not the place, somehow, how can we move from a place of all people and pastors are like this to where we develop a bad theology about who God is because we put these titles on who people are. And we may not be the scribes in here, but we ended up making the very thing that hurt us the thing that keeps us from getting reconnected. It's about me, not about them. And I'm better than them because that person, that type of person has hurt me, that type of person. And it's this ongoing bummer of a circle that doesn't allow uh, connection to happen. So, yeah, we'll preach through the stuff that we'll preach through the stuff that speaks more to the pastors than it does to the people. And I'll let you know there should be there was conviction. There is conviction. And I boiled it down to myself, so you see how my brain works through this. It was like, J.J., what's the Lord telling you, me personally? Don't take advantage of people. All, all that stuff, don't take advantage of people. Don't use your position or your whatever to, take, to see what you can get from someone. Don't take advantage of people. And also this, it's not about how much you have. It's about what you do with what you have. Now, we'll talk about this woman giving in a second, but they were always trying to get more. You notice how when you get more, you want to get more? It's not about how much you can get, how much power you can get, how much authority you can get, how many people working under you can get, how big you can get this organization to grow. It's about being faithful with what you've been entrusted 
That's what Jesus notices, your motivations. Why are you doing the things you're Are you taking advantage of people to get this thing bigger? Or are you being faithful? So those are the things that spoke to me. Maybe they speak to you. Because Jesus doesn't like taking advantage of people using spiritual means. He doesn't like taking advantage of each other, period. But especially using spiritual means. God says, do this. He doesn't like that. All right, now let's zoom in on the single woman in the back. So Jesus spoke to the, to the people up front who run the thing. Now it says, verse 41, as he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting their money in the offering box, it says many people, many rich people put in large sums, and the poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Now, did she put in more? Nope. But he says she put in more. So where is he measuring? What is he seeing? For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now this, you could preach a lot of different ways. You could talk about the division of the classes and how maybe if there was so much abundance we could have like set something up to help take care of people which is one of the first things the early church does and it's one of the first issues they have because it's hard it's hard to navigate how do you take what you have that might be in abundance and see if some people could be also taken care of why is it hard because people start taking advantage of things immediately and people are involved and their motives are involved and all the stuff it's just really hard trying to navigate these things um but jesus is watching jesus is watching you putting the i'm sorry i don't want to but it's, it's crazy to think about that he sat back and he was watching people put money in the offering box. Actually, in the New King James Version, it says that he was watching how they put the money into the offering box. Not just what they put, but how they put it in there. As a matter of fact, apparently, at the Temple Mount, there were 12 offering boxes along a certain wall. They were called the trumpets um, because of the way they were shaped. And... There was a bell. I don't remember what restaurant it is, but there's a certain restaurant where if you tip them, there was a, they ring a bell. Does anyone know what that is? Is that here or is that somewhere else I live? Anyways, you would tip them and they would ring a bell. And for the longest time, I was like, why do they keep ringing a bell? And then one day it dawned on me. I'm like, oh, it's because they got tipped. Actually, it says in, in here, when people would give large amounts, they could ring, you could ring a bell. Ring-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling. Like, look at what I give. Like, if you give over X amount, then, like, everyone will stop and be like, oh, my gosh. That was amazing. Good for that person. And um, for some, they'd be like, wow, that's great. You know, look at how much Johnny gave for others. They would just be like, immediately would make them feel bad because they were like, I can't compete with that. I'm a single mom doing the best I can. Actually, says this woman she wasn't on any type of pro she was this is what she made and she was there like god i need you i'm 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 scraping by but he saw her motivation too so it says these people out of their abundance would put in a lot which is great lots of money 
um, makes organizations be able to grow and do stuff. It was not what, it was the how. Remember, a spirit of pride, a spirit of superiority, a spirit of a class division system that was happening. It's not the outward show, but the depth of surrender that Jesus was talking about. And here he's showing a sharp contrast between the outward show of godliness and the inward authenticity of faith. Maybe that's where we can be encouraged today. Is it on the outward? We might be like, Stephanie and I have a saying that every once in a while we'll look at each other. No matter what we're out, what we're doing, we'll be like, well, here we are. Just like, this is it. This is us. Here we are in this place or that place. It's like, we're nothing more than this, nothing less, just us. Jesus sees an authenticity of faith where the world is kind of built up for people to notice all the stuff that comes along with what we have. Humility is a beautiful thing. Humility only looks good to the humble, though. You ever notice someone, you're like, man, that person is humble. Humility is only noticed by people who desire to have humility in their own life. Humility looks good to the humble, but it looks weak to the proud. When you, notice, when you look at someone, if you notice humility in people and it's a good virtue, that's a good place to be. If you mistake humility for weakness in someone, it's not a good place to be because it looks weak to those looking to take advantage. Ooh, that person's humble. They don't think they're, they're looking to give to others, this and that. I bet we could get every last dollar. Looks weak to the proud. So here's our self-audit. Before we ask these couple of little questions, could we put Jesus at the place of honor where he deserves to be? There was no one more humble. There was no one who gave up more resources to become poor on someone else's behalf. You know, in the New Testament, it only, it talks about three people who gave everything they had for the kingdom of God and for others. John the Baptist, this woman, and Jesus himself. Jesus gave up everything. This woman uh, is, a, is a type of what Jesus did. Though he was rich, he became poor so he could wear the common clothes, so he could stand on common ground with people, and he could talk to the rulers. He had the authority to call them out. He had the authority to raise them up because of who he is. Jesus has stood in everyone's shoes. He possessed all of heaven's resources, and he gave all he had as an act of worship to the Father and as an example for people. Jesus associated more with the widow than he did the scribe. That's why we worship him. He doesn't just make a way, he is the way. The way he lived, we walk in his shoes. It's called being a disciple of Jesus. We, we, we follow the things that he taught and we follow the pattern in which he lived. That's called the way of Jesus or being a disciple. That's what I want. 
and that's what I want for you. So in order to do that, we need to ask the questions that Jesus was wanting people to ask. Number one, we need to look at the what's of our life and ask why. That's good. Maybe you can do that this week. Look at the what's of your life and ask why. Um, what's the things you do? Why? Why do you do them? So I wrote a few that I see the world that going on. Why do I post pictures of myself all the time? Are you trying to share part of your story with the world, or is there something deeper that you need validation? That you need. Um, that's one of those tough things. I th- should I post this? Should I not post this? Why am I trying to? Why? Why do I say bad things about myself all the time? What's the what? Saying bad things about yourself. Why? Why do you do that? Is it to make yourself um, lower than what Jesus thinks about you? Is it because of something that you did in the past that you haven't allowed yourself to receive forgiveness for? Why, why is that? Why do I always have to have the last word? Why do I always have to be right? Any of those in here? Don't raise your hand. It comes at you and then you're like, boom, you get the end. And then there's a little something back and then boom, you get the last word again. Why is that? Why do I seek other people's praise so much? Why do I go to church? Why do I give financially to the church, to God? Why do I fill in the blank? But as you're thinking about your life and Jesus notices a separation and a prideful spirit in the scribes and he notices a spirit of humility and beauty in the woman and the, the, the metrics he uses to measure are a spiritual metric. The way that you answer this question, I'll tell you this, it depends on what you think about yourself and what you think about others. Why do I have to have the last word? Because I'm right. And the way you answer these will also depend on what you think God thinks about you on other, and others. Why do I talk so bad about myself? Because God, because I've, I'm bad. I've done bad. God can't forgive me. God doesn't love me. God doesn't see me. Look at my situation in life. I used to be here. Now I'm here. How could God love me in this place? And then you speak negative and false over yourself and over others, but that's not what God thinks. Jesus saw the show, and the church show, and he wasn't impressed. As a matter of fact, the next time we're back in Mark, I'll give you the title of the message now. It's called, um, wait, do I even remember it? It's when Jesus leaves the temple on Tuesday. It'll be the next section. One last look around. That's what I'm going to call it. Jesus is leaving the temple and he has one last look around and the stuff he says is heavy. Jesus saw the show, the temple, the garb, the, all the stuff and he wasn't impressed. And then he saw humility and authenticity and he was blown away. I want to end with one thing. I was reading this book this last year 
and um, is really good. And uh, I just want to read a passage. This book is called uh, A Memoir, The Pastor by Eugene Peterson. Anyone ever heard of Eugene Peterson? He wrote the message, Bible, uh, it's not really a translation, it's a commentary or an abbreviated, but it's a beautiful, and so he wrote that, um, but he wrote this book about his life, and I want to, I want to read something to you, and I think it sort of sums up everything we're talking about today. He was talking about being a kid. His dad was a butcher. I won't read the part where this one guy who worked for him, he was talking in depth about how he slaughtered a cow in front of these little kids and uh, pretended to drink the blood. It was funny. Okay, right after that, the butcher shop, he says, was my introduction to the world of congregation. He grew up in the church, and he was trying to get his uh, head around this word congregation, what, what it is. He says, which in a few years would be my workplace as a pastor. The people who came into our shop, butcher shop, his dad was the town butcher, were not just customers. Something else defined them. It always seemed more like a congregation than a store. My father in his priestly robe greeted each person by name and knew many of their stories. Anybody grow up in a place that had a town butcher that you knew by name? It's not a thing anymore. But my grandpa, my dad, where my dad grew up, there was this place. The dude's name was Baby Beef. That's his name. We got to run by Baby Beef and pick up some bologna. You get bologna at a butcher shop. I don't want to tell you what it's made out of. Okay. My father in his priestly robe greeted each person by name and knew many of their stories. And many of them knew me in my priest's robe by name. I knew they were... I always knew there was more going on than a commercial transaction. My father had an easy smile and was always gracious, especially with the occasional disagreeable ones. Alicia Conrad, who was always fussy about the leanness of the bacon. Gus Anderson, who made my dad trim off any excess fat from the steak before weighing it. Everyone felt welcome. He gave people dignity by the tone and the manner of his greetings. Two blocks away, on a side street, there was a brothel. There was always a good bit of talk on the street of the prostitutes and the cat house and the red light district that was a blight on the street. But not in our place. When these women entered our premises, they were greeted with the dignity of their Christian names. I remember three of them. Mary, Grace, Veronica. When they left with their perches, there was no gossipy moralism trailing in their wake. They were in a safe place. Sometimes these women would telephone their order and ask for delivery. I was always the delivery boy at different times, obviously. When I brought the packages, when I brought the packages, they always knew my name and treated me with the way themselves had been treated in a butcher shop, not as a customer, which I would guess is how most of the people who came up the stairs to their rooms were treated, but as a named person. 
oddly, the one person who seemed out of place at our butcher shop was the pastor that we had for a few years. He wasn't a regular customer. But when an evangelist or missionary would come to town, that pastor always paid us a call. He would get my father off to the side, put his arm across his shoulders and in the same spiritual voice that he always used when he prayed. He'd say, Brother Don, the Lord has laid it on my heart that this poor servant of God hasn't been eating all that well lately and would be greatly blessed with one of your fine steaks. My dad, ever generous, always gave him two. I never heard my father complain, but I did see the other meat cutters wink and exchange knowing looks, and I was embarrassed for my pastor, who seemed so out of place in this holy place of work. I'm quite sure now that the way I, as a pastor, came to understand congregation had its beginnings in the congregational atmosphere of our butcher shop. Listen to this, Bridge. A congregation is composed of people who, upon entering a church, leave behind what people on the street name them or call them. A church can never be reduced to a place where goods and services are exchanged. And it must never be a place where a person is labeled. It can never be a place where gossip is perpetuated. Before anything else, it is, a per- it is a place where a person is named and greeted, whether implicitly or explicitly, in Jesus' name. A place where dignity is confirmed. And I first learned that under my father's priesthood in his butcher shop. It's good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. I thank you for the way that that man was able to give such plain words that I can relate to about the very things you were teaching us in your word today, Jesus. That you see all things and you desire that all people would know you. And you desire that churches would be a place where people can come, hear you gladly, that you would be represented well by any church organization or any big church, small church, that it would be a place where stuff doesn't get in the way of of finding you, of meeting with you, of hearing from you, where people are treated with honor and dignity, a place where we can come, and if we're humble and willing, we can find grace, we can find forgiveness, we can find acceptance. We can be a part of your kingdom. So, Lord, may, that, may, may those words, just to read them out loud and put them out there, may they be word, prophetic words for this place. May, they, may this be a place where people are on a first-name basis, that you are doing a beautiful work by your spirit, that regardless of how big or small a gift is, that it would be done in the manner in which this woman gave Humility, faith, asking you, entrusting our lives to you, that you would lead us. May this never be a place of show or pretense, but just um, people. So thank you for today, Lord. It is awesome to be here. 
We want to sing the song in response. In Jesus' name, amen.